Well, good morning. It's good to see all of you here this morning. Uh, my name is Tim. I'm the pastor here, and love it that you've joined us uh, in this new year, also in this new decade. Um, and I don't know about you. I, I know it's a new decade, but there's a lot of things uh, that just seem like another year. Right? Every year, kind of at this time, even though it's kind of special, we're thinking about the new decade, thinking about the last decade, we're still just doing the same things. We're, we're talking about what Bradley talked about from this stage last week of like, hey, hey we need to change. Yeah, we need to change like spiritually, emotionally, and to get some boundaries set up in our life. Or, hey, what are, what are these things that we've kind of let go? Usually for a lot of us, we've let go our physical fitness right? Especially around Christmas time, we've eaten a lot, like food we never eat at any other time of the year. We eat all the time during Christmas. We drink eggnog. Nobody ever drinks that, right? You don't drink eggnog during the summer. If you do, you're just weird, right? But you drink a lot of it during the Christmas season. And, and one of the things we often think about this new year, every new year, is our physical fitness and getting healthy. Now, here's a result of that. Here's an implication of that. There's a lot more people in the gym. Amen. Right? A lot more people in my gym, right? I was there the other day, and I was walking by. There was a guy laying on, just try to picture this, laying on one of those decline sit-up benches. Have you seen these? They have the cushions at the top, and you kinda, you're supposed to put your, your feet up under the cushions, lay back, and do a sit-up. Well, I'm walking by, and that's what you're supposed to do on this piece of equipment. This guy, I'm walking by, he's not doing that. He's just laying down, <laughs> right? And he doesn't have his feet under the cushions. He has them resting on top of the cushions, and not just resting, but his legs are folded across one another, right? And he's looking at his phone, and I know you've seen this, and you've done this, you're looking at your phone in between a workout. He's not just scrolling through Twitter. He's watching a show, <laughs> right? And so I walked by the guy, and, and I kept thinking, and I really wanted to tell him, but I didn't tell him. I just kept thinking, bro, it doesn't work that way. I, I wish it worked that way. I wish you could do something that you normally do on your couch at home in the gym and, and somehow magically get a six pack. I wish it worked that way, but it doesn't. What is working out, getting fit, being healthy require? Work, sweat, pain, right? It requires, you can't lay down and get that. And listen, it's the same way in the Christian life. That, that if we want to grow, and maybe some of you are thinking spiritually in the new year, hey, I want to grow, and I've let that slide, and my faith slide. And if you want to grow, you don't grow by, by laying down. You grow by, by getting up and doing something, by following Jesus, by reading Scripture, by doing what it says. You go through works. Now, some of you, if you've been here for a while at Phoenix Bible Church, you're a little uncomfortable right now because you're like, well, Tim, no, it's saved by grace. I tell him it's grace. And what I'll tell you is, is saved by grace, through faith, so no one can boast, not of your works, but solely because of the work of Jesus Christ on your behalf. That is how you're saved. It's totally grace. You open up empty hands of faith. You don't bring your rituals or religion. You open up empty hands of faith. You look to the work of Jesus on the cross and of the resurrection, and you put your trust in him and the work he has done for you, and he saves you, and it's an amazing grace. Amen? That's what we believe here, just in case you are wondering. But we also believe Ephesians 2, saved by grace through faith, it goes on to say that you are saved to something. Paul says in Ephesians 2, you are saved to good works. In fact, God has prepared them in advance for you to walk in them. Paul says in another place in the New Testament, you are to work out your salvation. 
And so grace is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. Right? Grace empowers you. The grace that saves you empowers you to be sanctified in Jesus. And let me just tell you, I'm so glad you're here this morning. If you want to see change happen in your life, that's how it's going to happen. Right? And listen, that is the book of James. It's a faith that works. And we're going to spend the next 13 weeks diving into that. How does it work? It's not just information. It's transformation. How does this gospel, this grace in our life, how does it get worked out? How do we change? How do we grow? How do we become complete in Christ, as James is going to tell us? We're going to dive into that in this new series in the book of James. I'm excited. I'm excited to dive into that and see what God has for you and your life and in mine. Today, we're kicking it off, and our message title, if you take notes and like to do that, our message title this morning is Faith and Fullness. Faith and Fullness. Our first point is from skeptic to servant. From skeptic to servant. We see that in verse 1. Look at the verse again with me. It says this. James a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That word Lord is the Greek translation for the Hebrew word Yahweh, which means the one true God. So James says, I'm a servant of the one true God, Jesus Christ. That's gonna be really important as we get into this. And he says, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Now, brief background, this is one of the earliest New Testament letters. Because it's one of the earliest New Testament letters, the gospel hasn't spread very far yet. It kind of started in Jerusalem. That was the hub for the church, the movement of Christianity. That's where James is. That's where he's from. It starts there, and he's writing to people who are just starting, Jewish people who are just starting to believe in Jesus, but they're kind of scattered. Not a lot of churches built up yet, like you see uh, Ephesians writing to the church of Ephesus, Philippians, the church at Philippi. That really hasn't gotten rolling yet. James is writing to just people who said, hey, I, I, I was a Jewish person believing in the one true God, and now I believe that's Jesus Christ. And James is writing to those people, and the first thing he says is, hey, I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's key, because James always wasn't a servant of Jesus Christ. He wasn't always a servant of Jesus Christ. He was once just a brother of Jesus Christ. Some of you are newer to church. You're like, Jesus had brothers? Yeah, impress your friends with that one at the next party, right? Jesus was, was supernaturally conceived to Joseph and Mary, but they were married, and you know, earmuffs, if you're a kid, they had sex, and they had more kids, <laughs> and Jesus had a family. I know, impress your friends at the next party. It's crazy, and, and one of Jesus' brothers was this guy named James, and again, he didn't start out as a servant of Jesus. It didn't start out well. In fact, we know from the New Testament, several places, Mark chapter 3, verse 21, Jesus is out proclaiming who he is, what he's going to do. And it says this, Mark 3, 21, when his family hears it, that includes James, they go out to seize him, for they were saying he is out of his mind. Now, I just tried to picture this. Some of you got some crazy brothers, right? If they're in the room, don't look around. Some of you guys got some crazy siblings, and if you just think about your sibling right now, just in these crazy moments, when you thought about, you're kind of out of your mind. You didn't say that, though, right? at least not in public when your brother's trying to get his game on and advance his career and do his thing. You didn't go out in public. You didn't go to his workplace and say, like, listen, 
brother, come over here. You didn't get too much sleep last night. You need to eat better. Drink some water. He's out of his mind. Even if you thought that, you didn't say it. James, his family, they said it in public about the Son of God. Can you picture that? That's what James was involved in. That's how he starts out. We see it again. The Gospel of John, chapter 7, verse 5. It says, for not even his brothers believed in him. His brothers didn't even believe. Jesus, we don't believe who you say you are. Can you imagine? That's why Jesus says, hey, I don't have any respect in my hometown. Because he's out proclaiming the gospel and doing all these miracles. And they're just like, yeah, but you're, you're, you're broke. Like, you're just a carpenter's son. I, you're not God. And that was James who believed that. We see again Galatians 2, another reference to James, but things have changed. Galatians 2, written by the Apostle Paul, he calls James a pillar of the church. And so you got James mocking Jesus, going out to seize him. Hey, he's out of his mind. And then you have James called a pillar, a foundational person in the New Testament church, proclaiming Jesus as God. You have this book, James. This whole book, five chapters where James is writing saying, hey, I believe. I'm not just a brother. I'm a worshiper of Jesus. You should follow him. In fact, faith without works is dead. You should follow him wholeheartedly. So what happens to James? What happens from the Gospels to Galatians 2? What happens from the Gospels to Acts chapter 12? Peter is miraculously freed from prison. He gets out. The first person he wants to see is James. What happened? Well, let me ask you a question. Again, think about your sibling, your brother. What would it take for you to worship your brother as God? He'd have to rise from the dead, amen? Right? And not just rise from the dead like you hear about it. You'd have to see him. And 1 Corinthians 15, the apostle Paul, he says that's exactly what happens. Like the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 15, he says, hey, here's the crux of our faith, the most important thing in our faith. Jesus died. He was buried. He rose again. And he didn't just escape to heaven where no one could see him. And maybe we hear stories and like, well, maybe Jesus rose from the dead. I can't find his body. No, he, he appeared to over 500 people, the Apostle Paul says. And specifically, 1 Corinthians 15, he says he appears to over 500 people and then to James. And I would just love to be on that conversation, wouldn't you? Baby bro, hey, the, the one you mocked, the one you didn't believe in, yeah, I'm back. <laughs> That's the biggest told you so ever in history, right? <laughs> but not for Jesus because he was holier than us, but, right? And, and he goes and he appears to James. What happened to James? He encountered the risen Christ, Amen. That's what happens when you encounter the risen Christ. You change. You change from a mocker to a missionary. You change from skeptic to servant. You change from brother to worshiper. Right? And it's not just with James. We see this with other people in the New Testament. We see it with the apostle Peter. I just love Peter. I can relate to him a lot. He's one of Jesus' key disciples. And you see Jesus walking with Peter over and over, just explaining things to Peter. But then you see this climactic point at the end of the Gospels where Peter doesn't just deny Jesus one time, not, not two times, but three times. Peter, the overachiever, right? 
He denies Jesus three times in Jesus' darkest moment. But then you flip ahead. Acts chapter 2. Peter's not denying Jesus. He's proclaiming Jesus powerfully as the Son of God who beat death, who rose again. He encountered the risen Christ. Then he's proclaiming the risen Christ. And what happens? Well, just 3,000 people get saved. How does that happen? How does Peter go from a doubter to a proclaimer? How does it happen with Paul? Paul, the apostle who used to kill Christians, not just be indifferent to them, not just mock them from far away. Paul went after Christians to kill them, to have them arrested. What happens to Paul? He's on a road. He sees a light. He's encountering the risen Christ. His life is forever changed. He's the most predominant writer in all of the New Testament. He goes in prison, and instead of wallowing in in bitterness and and doubt and sadness, instead of doing that in prison, the Apostle Paul is more passionate than ever. He's writing letters to all the churches and saying, hey, you live for Christ. I want to care for you as Christians, not kill you as Christians. How does that happen? Paul encountered the risen Christ. And listen, it's not just in that day this happens. It happens in our day, right? It happens with Kanye West. It's how Kanye West goes from singing, diamonds are forever, to Jesus is king. That doesn't happen unless you encounter the risen Christ. It it happened last week when Bradley, one of our pastors, one of our elders, if you missed it, go listen on the podcast. He shared it during his sermon. Hey, I was a person who wasn't always on a stage like this, proclaiming a gospel like this. I was in the back alleys. I was in in my apartment, hopeless, addicted to drugs. Years ago, and now I'm proclaiming Jesus. How does that happen? He encountered the resurrected Christ. This is what happens. This is what encountering the resurrected Christ does to your life. So a question to ask this morning, this new year, this new decade, have you encountered the resurrected Christ? Are you just trying to do some new rituals in the new year? Are you just trying to come to church and do the thing and maybe get some self-help? Or have you encountered Jesus Christ who lived the perfect life that you could not, who died the death in your place, who rose again? He did that for you so you could encounter him, so you could go through trials and come out on the other side, so you could worship him, so you could live for him and be transformed by him. That's what the gospel does. That's what we hope for you every Sunday, every year of this church. This is what the gospel does. This is what the resurrected Christ does. So our first point, skeptic to servant. Our second point, pain to purpose. Verses 2 through 4. Look at those verses with me. Verse 2, it says this. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials. Notice it's when you meet trials, not if. Happy New Year. And it gets better. He says, when you meet trials, not just one trial, trials of various kinds. Now, I just talked about this transformation James went through. And James, the book of James is is awesome. It's very quick hitting. He he lays out a lot of truths that are like Facebook, like a holy Facebook, holy Twitter, without the emojis, without the comments, right? And James will say things like, hey, faith without works is dead, and like mic drop moments, And he says things like, every good and perfect gift, it's from above. It's from your Father in heaven. He has no shifting shadow. You've probably seen a lot of quotes from the book of James. And we're going to lift up James here. But right here in this moment, as I read this, as I studied this, I thought, 
James seems like a crazy person. Anybody else? It's church. You can be honest, right? Everybody relax. James seems like a crazy person. He says joy and trial, they're connected. We don't connect those two. And in fact, James doubles down. He says not just joy and trial. He says all joy, you see it, and various trials. Literally, that's multicolored trials. So he says all joy, multicolored trials. What James is talking about is that you can have joy not just when you have the flu, but when you have a side of conflict in your marriage. Not just when you have a flu with a side of conflict in your marriage, but when you sprinkle in that poor review at work. When you have all that going on at once, James is saying you can have full trial, but full joy. And so is he, is he crazy? Well, let's look at it a little bit closer. Look at verse two again with me. Notice what James says. Look at it precisely. He doesn't say trials will feel like joy. He doesn't say trials are joy. What does he say? Count them joy. Count it joy. Another translation, consider it joy. You see, we think about joy in our culture, we talk about joy in our culture as circumstantial feelings. James isn't talking about that. James is talking about a perspective of joy that's rooted in knowledge. And that's what he says, verse 3, look at that verse. He says, hey, you can count it, you can consider it all joy. Why? For you know. This is rooted in knowledge. You know that the testing of your faith, it produces something. It produces something greater even than your trial. And so you can, in the midst of your trial, it doesn't feel like joy when you have the flu. It doesn't feel like joy when you're sick. It doesn't feel like joy when you're experiencing strife. It doesn't feel like joy when you have family drama that you experienced during Christmas and now somehow it's carried over in the new year. It doesn't feel like joy that you thought like, hey, new year, new me. And you're two weeks in and you're like, hey, new year, same me. That doesn't feel like joy. James isn't saying that. James is saying, count it joy. Because when you have that perspective that's Christ-centered, that's rooted in knowledge, hey, it's producing something greater. For I know this testing is going to produce something. Then you can count it joy even in the midst of trial, not just after. Because you know it's producing something. James says what it is producing. He says, hey, it's producing steadfastness. That's an active endurance. It's not uh, just patience and endurance like, hey, I'm going to wait to hear the word from the doctor in the waiting room. No, you should be thinking active endurance, steadfastness. It's like the patience, the active endurance that requires to finish a marathon, that you keep moving, you keep pushing because you know something is happening at the end that's greater than what you're experiencing right now. He says it produces that. He says it produces that you may be perfect. Literally, that's not sinless, but it's mature, it's whole, it's full. He says complete. James says, hey, this trial doesn't compare to the greater thing God wants to do. There's a pain, yes, but it leads to a purpose. And so you can stop even in the midst of the pain, and you can count it all joy. And if you think about that, again, it's not crazy. This is how life works, right? This is how everything that matters in life works. We mentioned earlier, working out, right? How does it work? I have friends who work out a lot, do CrossFit, do that whole thing, and they will say things that seem crazy, like, hey, I love the burn. And I'm just like, no, you don't. (laughs) Nobody loves the burn, right? 
you're not lifting weights and you're like, oh, that feels so good, right? No, it hurts. Why? Because physiologically, your muscles in that moment, they're tearing apart. It hurts, right? But, but, but it hurts. Pain leads to a purpose. Pain leads to progress. Because when it really hurts, that's when the good stuff happens. When your muscles are really tearing open, they get to build back up stronger after the whey protein and the creatine sets in, right? That's what happens. So, so here's what can happen. Your friends that do CrossFit or work out a lot, they really do think the burn feels good when they're doing it. Now, it doesn't physiologically feel good. They're not superhuman. It hurts, but they know what it produces, They've been there enough times. They've done it enough times. Hey, I'm going to feel better. I'm going to be stronger. I'm going to be fitter. It's going somewhere. It's a pain that leads to a purpose. Not just working out, though. It's, it's this way in education. You think about, uh, for you, when you were in college and you were agonizing over those algebra equations, <laughs> through the middle of the night at IHOP, working through it, and you just don't get it, and it's agony. It's painful. But you start to realize, hey, it leads to a purpose. And at one point, the light comes on. You get a tutor, and the light comes on. And you're helped, and you, and you see that moment, and you're like, I can count it joy. The next time I'm in that, I know this is going to produce something. I see it with my kids all the time. They're getting old enough. My daughter's in middle school where math is starting to be hard, not just for her, but for dad. <laughs> right? And at night, she's like, Dad, help me multiply these fractions. And I'm just like, Google, help me multiply <laughs> these fractions. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to show your work. Like, I can calculate it on my calculator. And, and she's experienced some agony, but what happens? There's a moment where it clicks, and she gets it, and there's joy. And then the next time she does homework, and dad doesn't get it, and she doesn't either, she can count it joy in the midst of that because she knows what's at the end of it, right? It happens with education. It happens in your career with your craft, right? Whether you're an artist or an attorney, all those little things, all those tedious tasks, all those obstacles, all the pressure at work, all the things that you can't quite figure out, the problems that you can't quite solve, the difficult relationship, what happens? You go through it and you realize, hey, I learned a lot. I have more endurance. I have more steadfastness. I feel more equipped to handle this in the future. And then the next time you go through that, it's not that it's not painful. You just know that it leads to a purpose and you can count it all joy. I experienced this. My job as a pastor, part of what I do is this right here, is preach. But I don't just get up here and preach on a Sunday. I prepare throughout the week. And let me just tell you, behind the scenes, there is some agony, there is some pain. Right? I'm wrestling with the text all week. I'm wrestling with what it means in the context of the whole of Scripture. I'm wrestling with what it means for my life, not just your life, which is honestly the most agonizing of it all. I'm wrestling with how do I apply this in my marriage? How do I apply this with my kids? How do I apply this in my job? What does this look like for me? And then I'm also, I want to present the text to you clearly, accurately, historically, right? So I want to give you that information, but I also, I don't want to just give you a lecture. You could go read James and read commentaries on your own. I want to take that and I want to present it to you where it fits and it relates to your life and it impacts your life and transforms your life. It doesn't just inform your life. And let me just tell you, there's some agony with that. There's some Saturday nights where I'm like, I don't know if I have it all. I got a, I got a sermon, but I don't know if this will preach. And there's some agony. But let me just tell you, that's the best sermon. 
Because that pain leads to a purpose. So now, even in the midst of that sermon prep where I have some agony, and I'm like my, talking to, through it with my wife, and, and I'm verbally processing, and she's got some agony because of that. <laughs> and even in those moments now, because I've been doing this for a while, I can count it joy. Because I know even in the midst of this this pain, there's going to be a purpose, and I'm going to get there on Sunday, and the Holy Spirit of God, he's going to impact people's lives, and he's going to work through this sermon, and it will be worth it. It, it will be joyful. That's the way life works. All of life works. That's the way the Christian life works. And listen, some of us forget this because we listen to trite sayings like this. Well, God will never give you something you can't handle. And we think, like, trials come, and we just... We try to hide from trials, and we try to resist trials, because that's our whole culture, is just resist the discomfort, find a place that's more comfortable, escape pain, go rest somewhere else, get away from it. And our culture tells us, like, hey, God will never give you anything that, that you can't handle. James begs to differ. Amen? God won't just give you trials. He'll give you what kind of trials? Various, multicolored flew with a side of conflict in your marriage, sprinkle in some poor reviews at work. God will give you, allow you to experience all kinds of troubles, but he's working something greater in you because that's the way life works. That's the way he works in your life as a follower of Jesus. Now, it's possible to entirely miss this. Right, verse four, look at that verse. James says, you have to let steadfastness have its full effect. It's implied that it's possible to not let steadfastness have its full effect. You have to let this process go. And listen, it's not, it's not that you don't pray that that trial would go away. You should. But it's you pray, hey, God, would you take away this trial, take away this flu, take away this work situation, take away this cancer, right? whatever it is. You pray that God would take it away, but you don't say amen after that. You say, God, but if you don't, while you're not, what are you trying to teach me in the midst of this? I know you're trying to produce something. I know this is not pointless. It's purposeful. Show me. What is that? What is that in this financial difficulty? What is that in this, in this sickness? What is that in this strife? You don't end your prayer with take it away. You end your prayer with God teach me. And, and that's what James is going to say. Hey, you have to let it have its full effect. I, I remember a mentor in my life when I was in college and early on in ministry. It was just hard times. I we were starting a family. I didn't make a lot of money. Didn't have a 401K. None of that stuff was set up yet. Ministry was hard. Just dealing with relational conflict with people, preaching, all that stuff was kind of agonizing all the time back then. And I remember I would just have a hard day, and, and the kids would be crazy, and, and life would be crazy, and I didn't feel like I was good at my job, and I would go to my mentor, and I would just be venting, right? and just talking about all these things that are not going well, all these trials of various kinds and multicolored trials all at once. And I would go to him, and he was always really good to listen, and he would always give me some advice, but at some point he would say, man, that is a lot. What do you think God is trying to teach you through all that? And I remember how much I would hate that question. Like, bro, I'm not trying to think about what God's teaching me. I'm trying to wallow in complaining and sadness right now. Stop trying to get me out of that. But obviously, and we all know this, wallow in complaining and sadness over your trials, what does that do? Bitterness, trials are still there. You're just a lot more angry and upset. 
Somebody asks you how you're doing, you're just like, fine. Like, happy new year, like, happy what? That doesn't help. So he would eventually, he would listen, he would let me process, he would let me vent, but he would pull me out of that and say, hey, what do you think God's trying to teach you through all this? Because he is, you know that, right? There's no pointless trial for the believer. They're all purposeful. So he's trying to teach you. So, So first question you need to ask this new year is like, hey, as I'm facing these trials is, God, what are you trying to teach me? I know it's something. Show me what it is. And you may need some help in that. I did. I needed an annoying mentor to ask me that question. <laughs> you may need that too. You may need some community around you. We have community groups at Phoenix Bible Church. You, you may need to find one of those during the week and go to one of those and say, I got some trials and I've been complaining and I've been wallowing in sadness. Can you help me out of that? Can you help me see what God's teaching me right now? Because if I'm honest, I look at all this stuff in my life, and it does not make sense, and I can't see the purpose in the midst of my my pain. And you may need some people who are indwelled with the Holy Spirit of God to help you see the purpose in the pain. You may need God's word to remind you of truth when you don't want to believe it, to confront you with it, passages like James that will say and go on to say next week, hey, You're complete, he says that this week, but you're also, you're incomplete. And if any one of you is lacking something, you're lacking wisdom, hey, ask God for it. And you're going to need to go to scripture in the midst of your trial, and you're going to need to read that and think that's the last thing I want to do is ask God for wisdom right now. The the first thing I want to do is complain and is be bitter and is defend and is deflect. And you're going to read scripture and be, I guess I should ask God for wisdom. I guess I should do that, and the Holy Spirit's going to move in your life. You're going to need to, to dive into disciplines. And it's not just going to every light is going to come on right in the moment. Those trials aren't going to end in a day or even in a week. They're going to go on for a little while, right? Happy New Year. And you're going to need to, to lean into some disciplines that even when you don't feel it, you do it anyway. Some disciplines like we're going to talk about with fasting and prayer. We gave you this prayer journal, 21 days of prayer and fasting. That fasting, if you're new to church, new to the faith, fasting isn't just some ritual. Fasting is replacing something that you go to as a craving, as comfort. You know what that is. Something like that, you replace it with prayer. You replace that time in the car, listening to the radio, distracting yourself. You replace it with prayer, listening to worship music, reminded of the truth of God. You replace that time, just mindless distraction on social media. Come on, somebody. That we all do. Hey, I'm going to fast certain parts of the day, all day, all 21 days, whatever the Lord leads you. I'm going to replace it. I'm not going to stop doing white knuckle it. I'm not going to look at social media. I'm going to replace it with prayer. You may need to put some disciplines. You do need to put some disciplines in your life. It's a faith that works. To remind yourself in the midst of the trial, how do I count it all joy? God, what are you teaching me? And listen, it's through that burn, through that pain. Some of you, fasting is going to be painful. Right now, you're thinking about that craving you have. I cannot leave that ice cream. You're thinking about that social media. I cannot leave my personal platform. I am an influencer. I mean, my followers will subside. I mean, the hashtag, it will go cold. And you're like, I can't. I can't do it without my phone. And you're thinking that, and you're like, Tim, don't ask me if I'm fasting. I'm not going to get in a community group to to, to have people do that. Why would I do that? 
Because you're like, I don't know if I can let that go. It's going to be a trial, but through that trial, you're going to feel the burn. God's going to tear away things. He's going to show you your limits to help you lean on him. Listen, some of you, he's going to save you. He's going to save you from leaning on your financials and your 401k and the amount of money you have in savings and that security in your life that you are banking on. He's going to save you from something that will fade and will fail you in the end. He's going to save you from it now. Pry your little fingers off of it and cause you to open up your fingers and put up your hands to Jesus and lift him up as your only security in life. Through that discipline, through the pain, there's going to be purpose. Through the work, he's going to grow you. You're going to be complete, steadfast, mature in him. And some of you need to take those steps in this new year to see God do that in your life. Um, This is where we find fullness. This is where we find growth. This is where we find true joy. I I love the way St. Augustine says it. Uh, He said it this way. How sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose. You drove them from me. You who are the true, the sovereign joy, you drove them from me and you took their place. O oh Lord, my God, my light, my wealth, my salvation. You see, it's not just about disciplines. It's not just about working yourself. It's not just about yourself. It's about you looking to somebody else. Somebody else who went through pain, who went through trials. Somebody else who had the whole pain of the whole world upon himself at the cross. And listen, he didn't just endure it. He conquered it, amen? He conquered it. He conquered the grave. He conquered sin. He conquered every multicolored trial that you face or will face in the future. Jesus Christ, you look to him. You loosen your grip on these other things. You fix your gaze on him. You lift him up in the midst of the trial. He endured it all. He overcame it for you. So you could walk through even the valley of the shadow of death. You come out on the other side of that praising God because of the work he did in your life. He brings you to completion. Jesus did that. So you don't just look at yourself. You look to him. You lean on him. You fix your eyes on him. You lift him up in the midst of your trial, and that's how you count it joy. And that's where you find fullness. And that's all of us in this room. I don't know why you came to church this morning, but this is why God brought you. To put some disciplines in your life, yes. To work this out in your life, yes. But to do so as you look to Jesus who worked on your behalf, who overcame every trial and every sin and every sickness and every strife in your life. Not somebody else's, not just somebody else's, your life. That's why God has you here. So you can be complete, mature, lacking nothing. So happy 2020. Happy new decade. Let's go on this journey together. Some of you still got questions. You're wondering, hey, what does this look like here and here in this part of my faith? 13 weeks. (laughs) We're going to go through this. So we're going to see some of those answers come. Let's pray together. Father, Father, thank you for your son Jesus who works even in the midst of trials. Thank you that every single person in here, their trials are not pointless. They are purposeful if they know you. 
And God, I pray right in this moment, as we start this new year, as we start this new decade, that if there is someone here who doesn't know you and feels like they do have a lot of trials because they're human and they don't know the point of them, God, their first step would not just come to religious service. Their first step would, would come to an understanding of you. Their first step would be to throw up empty hands of faith, to say, God, I don't have anything to offer, but I trust in you who has everything to offer, who you offered your son Jesus, and you did that for me. That, that while I was still weak, even in the midst of my trial, you died for me. You rose for me. And God, I pray if there's any man or, or woman that's sitting here that's in, in, in a shot of my voice, God, that they would stop listening to me right now and they would start talking to you and they would give their life to you and they would place their faith in you so that their faith could start leading to works and be worked out in their life so they could change, so they could be full, so they could be complete. God, I, I pray for all of us in this room. As we sing, God, we would, we would declare the victory over our trial even if it hasn't happened yet because we know that one day you will have the victory that we see that in the resurrection, we see that in your return, that we can sing today loudly. Come on, loudly. We can sing spirit-filled. We can sing joyously, not because everything is perfect in our life, but because even when it's not, we know you are going to perfect it in eternity. And we can rejoice this morning because of Jesus Christ. Help us to do that. It's in the name of Jesus we pray, and everybody said, amen. amen.